Let's just pray. Thank you, Father, that, uh, man, you brought us together, that you're here with us. Lord, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you that your Spirit could just minister life to us as we um, just talk about uh, Abraham and uh, what happened in Abraham's life. Just thank you, Lord, that uh, we could find uh, the same faith that was in Abraham's heart, born in our hearts, and we could just uh, see what Abraham saw. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Um, and that's really what's in my heart for the church. What I realized I wanted in my life is I wanted to be fathered in the faith. That's what I wanted in my own life. I lived through many things with God and thought I wanted many things from God, many systems with God. I pursued many things uh, within this, the, the realm of Christianity. And at the end of it all, I, I guess I feel kind of like Solomon. Like I went all the way in all these different veins. And at the end of it all, I decided that it was all vanity. And what I realized at the end of it all is that all I really want is to be fathered in the faith, right? Because I realized that it's the spirit of faith that creates us in the image of Christ Jesus. It's the spirit of faith that forms within us the very life of God. And the spirit of faith is the preaching of the faith. And so when God wants to give birth to his life in you, the way that he does it is through the preaching of the faith or the releasing of his spirit of faith into the earth. And the way that he released the spirit of faith into the earth was through the word that was made flesh in Jesus or the faith that was made flesh in Jesus. So my heart behind the fellowship here is that we would all be fathered in the faith together, right? That we would gather together and talk about the faith and that we would share what we see about the faith. And that through us all sharing together, the faith could be filled out in our midst. And then we could find that faith forming within us the very life of God, right? That's what I realized. All I want, Lord, is your life. I see the world has a life to offer me. I see the world can give me a life. I don't, honestly, I don't care about that no more, Lord. All I want is your life. I see the world offers me and promises me peace and love and joy, but I see that all the ways the world could offer it to me, they all failed. And what I found is that I just wanted God's life. And he said, well, Greg, my life is found in my faith, right? My spirit of faith. And so that's my heart behind all the preaching that we do is to declare the faith because I know the faith will form in you the very life of God. And I'm not talking about your eternal destination. Right? Yes, it will also do that if you haven't cried upon the name of the Lord yet. But I'm talking about while you live in this earth, you experience the very life that Jesus experienced when he walked in the earth. That's what I'm talking about. Um, that's what I'm after for everybody. So in, in light of that, we're going to look at Abraham today and, and, and see uh, what's going on in the life of Abraham. You know, the scriptures, Abraham's highly esteemed in the scriptures. He's highly esteemed in the scriptures, and rightfully so. And he, he's not just highly esteemed personally or as a person, but his life is highly esteemed for doctrinal purposes or for the purposes of seeing sound doctrine or seeing what the scriptures are actually teaching. And so much of what we believe about God and our lives with God, much of what we believe about the faith, comes from what we believe about Abraham and what we believe about Abraham's life. You know, the scriptures affectionately call Abraham the father of, of, of faith, the father of the faith. And Romans would, would call it or, or describe it as Abraham being the father of all those who would believe. And if you look in the, the parable of Lazarus and the rich man, the, the rich man, refers to Abraham as Father Abraham. And so what is it that Abraham got right? What did Abraham see? What did, what did he do right? What is the life of Abraham trying to declare to us all? Because he, he is the father of all them who would believe. And so it, it might behoove us to know what it is that Abraham believed. It might behoove us to see what is Abraham's life declaring to all of us so that we could be the seed of Abraham, not meaning that our lives are born from Abraham, but that we would walk in the same faith that Abraham walked in. And 
I love what Jesus said. You do err not knowing the scriptures. <laughs> right? I just got to be honest. There's a whole lot of doctrines in the earth uh, born from erring about the life of Abraham. There's a whole lot of things that have been taught in the church by looking at the life of Abraham, not knowing the scriptures and what they actually say about Abraham. And so we, we're just going to look at that. We're going to see what Jesus himself says about the life of Abraham. And what was the work that Abraham did that justified Abraham? What is it that he got right? And we'll jump right to John chapter 8, verse 39. John chapter 8, verse 39. For those of you that want to write down the verses and want to see um, what the verses say yourselves, I'm reading from the King James. John chapter 8, verse 39. Jesus, this is Jesus talking. He says, uh, they answered and said unto Jesus, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said unto them, If you were Abraham's children, if you were Abraham's seed, ye would do the works of Abraham. Okay, so he's talking to the Pharisees there. And the Pharisees think that they're the children of Abraham. They think they're the seed of Abraham because they're Jewish according to the flesh. Right? They're looking at it a physical uh, lineage or genealogy. And they say, because we're Jewish according to the flesh, or Hebrews according to the flesh, we are the seed of Abraham. And those Pharisees, they also thought that Abraham was justified through the strength of the flesh, which is one of the reasons why they would think that they're the seed of Abraham according to the flesh, right? Instead of according to what was in his heart. Now, Jesus does something spectacular there. It's a real simple verse, but he does something spectacular there because what Jesus does is he points to the mount where Abraham was justified and he says to them, if you were the seed of Abraham, you would do the work that Abraham did. And when he says that to them, he's referring to Abraham on the mount when he's talking about the work that Abraham did. And he's pointing these guys who think they're the seed of Abraham to that place. And he's telling them, if you were actually the seed of Abraham, then you would do the work that Abraham did on the mount. Now, when, when Jesus says to the Pharisees, if you were the seed of Abraham, you would do the work of Abraham. He wasn't talking about offering Isaac. He wasn't talking about offering Isaac. He wasn't telling them, if you will now go offer your child, then you will be the seed of Abraham. That's not what he was talking about. He wasn't talking about, well, the work of Abraham is now Abraham went and offered Isaac on the mount, and now if you can go and offer your child, then you'll also be the seed of Abraham. Neither was he pointing them to some carnal ordinance that they can perform outwardly. That's not what he was talking about either. And the beautiful thing about the scriptures I say this a million times, guys, because I think that we, we need to hear it over and over and over and over again. And not because we're deficient, but the way the scriptures have been given to us, chopped up into verses and chapters, we, we have a tendency for our, our minds to read a verse as one thought, and then we move on and move on and move on, and we never see the whole context. There's nothing wrong with having chapter and verse. I'm very thankful for that. But we tend to read a verse and not continue reading to find the context. Because if you keep reading in John 8, Jesus himself says what the work of Abraham was. It's literally like five verses later. He defines the work that Abraham did on the mount. And do you know what Jesus says about what Abraham did on the mount? Do you know what he says? He says that Abraham saw my day and he rejoiced. Now, if you look at those Pharisees, they were not rejoicing in Jesus' day. <laughs> in fact, they were hating his day. They were despising his day. And Jesus is the word of truth in the flesh. You see, and Abraham heard the word of truth on the mount or leading up to the mount. And so he saw Jesus' day and he saw what Jesus' day would mean. And he rejoiced in Jesus' day, meaning he believed on it or he was persuaded of what it meant. And so Jesus says to these Pharisees, listen, man, you're not doing the work of Abraham. Therefore, you're not the seed of Abraham. And the work of Abraham, the work that Abraham did on the mount, is he saw my day on the mount. 
and he rejoiced in my coming. That's the work that he did. And here I am telling you the truth and you hate me. So you are not the seed of Abraham because you are not doing the work of Abraham. You are not rejoicing in my day. And so if you want to know what the work of Abraham is, it's a real simple thing. Some of you guys don't need all your theology unwound and you can just believe the truth, right? If you want to know, simplistically speaking, what is the work of Abraham? The work of Abraham is he saw Jesus's day and he rejoiced. He was persuaded of what that meant. He believed on Jesus, right? That's the work of Abraham. That's what it means. He believed on the one God would send. That's the work of Abraham, right? Now, listen, Jesus is the great prophet that Moses said would come. And so there's Jesus. One of the things that's hard for human beings to do is to submit what we think to what Jesus says. <laughs> that's one of the things that's hard. No, 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 no. I know the scriptures. Okay, well, Jesus is the scriptures in the flesh. And I know we think we've read the scriptures about Abraham, and we think we found all these things we can do so we can inherit what Abraham inherited. But Jesus is what the scriptures have to say about Abraham. He's standing there with them. He is the great prophet that Moses said would come. And Jesus, do you know, he looks right into the oracles of God, and he interprets what the scriptures say about Abraham and what happened on the mount. And do you know what he says? He believed on the one God would send. That's what he says. That's what Jesus has to say about it. You know, when the scriptures talk about performing a work or a deed, we have our own cultural and tradition, traditional understanding of what it means to, to work or to do a work or to perform a deed. But when the scriptures talk about performing a work or a deed, it's talking about something that happens in the heart. That's what it's referring to. And so when Jesus talks about the work of Abraham, when the scriptures talk about performing a work, it's talking about the work that goes on inside of the heart of every person. Every person will perform a work or a deed inside of their heart. Every single person. God has given the measure of faith to every single person as a gift. He sent his faith in the person of Jesus. And every single person will hear the faith and will have seen the faith. And every single person will do a work or a deed in their heart. And the work or the deed that they'll do in their heart is they'll either allow themselves to be persuaded, which is what it means to be obedient in the scriptures. Obedience in the scriptures is not talking about God giving you some carnal ordinance or outward order to perform, and then you go and perform it. That's not what obedience in the scriptures is talking about. Obedience in the scriptures is God has given you the measure of faith as a gift in the person of Jesus. And are you going to allow your heart to be persuaded by what God has said in Jesus? And are you going to refuse to be persuaded? by what God said in Jesus. Those are the two works. There's only two works you can do. You can either be persuaded of what God has said and done in Jesus, or you can harden your heart and refuse to be persuaded. When the scriptures talk about the work that you're going to do, and you're going to receive a reward for the deeds that you performed, our cultural understanding immediately wants to come in and say, it's talking about what you've done outwardly and whether you've been nice to people or not. Listen, it's nice to be nice to people. Right? I lay down my life for people every day. But it doesn't matter. I can, like Paul said, I can even give my body to be burned for people. If I haven't believed on Jesus, me giving my body to be burned for people can never give me eternal life. Right? And so when the scriptures talk about receiving a reward for the deed or the work, there's two, there's only two works you can do. You can allow yourself to be persuaded by what God said in Jesus. That's obedience to the faith. Or you can refuse to be persuaded. That's called disobedience. Disobedience is found in you hearing what God's done in Jesus, and you're like, nah, brah, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. Those are the only two works. So Jesus says the work that Abraham did on the mount is he believed on the one God would send. You know, the funny thing is, is, is that's actually in the scriptures. It's amazing what you'll find in the scriptures when you, your eyes are open to what Jesus said. But if you read Genesis chapter 22, verse 8, it's speaking of Abraham on the mount. Do you know what it says? 
This is Isaac. They're going up the mount to offer a sacrifice. And Isaac sees the fire in the wood, and he's like, where's the lamb? Where's the sacrifice? And do you know what came out of Abraham's heart? I promise you it wasn't deceit. It was what Abraham believed. Because Jesus come and said, what did Abraham do on the mount? He believed in the one God would send. Do you know what, what, what Abraham says to Isaac when Isaac asked him that? This is what Genesis 22 verse 8 says. And Abraham said to Isaac, my son, God will provide himself a lamb. You want to know where the lamb is? God will provide himself a lamb. If you read Hebrews chapter 11, verse 19, it says Abraham was persuaded by faith that God could even raise the promised seed from the dead. That's what happened on the mount. Abraham was persuaded that God would not allow death to come upon Isaac. On the mount, Abraham believed that God would liberate him from the deadness of his flesh. That's what he believed. He believed that God wouldn't allow death to overcome Isaac. He believed the power for Isaac to be delivered or liberated from death was found in God providing himself a lamb. And so you know what Abraham was believing? God will preserve the promised seed from corruption. God will preserve the life of the promised seed. That's what Abraham was believing on the mount. That's what he was thinking on the mount. Jesus is the Lamb of God who would come and take away the death that was reigning over the world, isn't he? And so Isaac said, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham said, we believe in that God's going to provide himself a lamb, and that's going to deliver me from the deadness of my flesh, and that's going to deliver you from the death that's in this world also, man. He believed God would preserve the life of the promised seed. God would preserve the promised seed from corruption, and he believed that that would be his shield and his buckler. He believed that that would be his exceedingly great reward. That's what Abraham believed on the mount. Remember, God promised Abraham, I am your shield and your buckler. I am your exceedingly great reward. I have called you the father of many nations. I have said, behold the stars in the heaven and the sand on the ground. So shall your seed be. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will decorate you in the fruit of my life. And on the mount, Abraham saw the way that would happen is that God would preserve the promised seed from corruption. <laughs> That's what he's believing on the mount. The fulfillment of everything that God promised me is found in that he will provide himself a lamb to deliver us from death. <laughs> uh, it's just like Paul says in Romans. Paul talks a lot about Abraham in, in Romans chapter 4, if you want to go and read there. But Paul says in Romans, the way he interprets it, the way he interprets Abraham on the mount, is that Abraham didn't consider the deadness in his flesh or the deadness in Sarah's womb. When, when he thought of how Isaac's life could be preserved, he didn't consider the strength that he had in himself. You know, he wanted Isaac's life to be preserved because he wanted to be exceedingly fruitful. He wanted to be the father of many nations. And so he wanted Isaac's life to be preserved. And when he thought of how Isaac's life could be preserved or how that could happen, he didn't think of the strength that he had in himself. Do you know what he thought of? He thought of God and the strength of God's lamb to preserve from death and bring forth a life that can even overcome the grave. That's what he thought of on the mount. The power for me to be exceedingly fruitful is found in the strength of God's lamb to preserve from death and to even overcome the grave or to even bring forth a life that can overcome the grave. Hallelujah. That's what he thought. Genesis 21.12 says, Genesis 21.12 says, For in Isaac shall thy seed be called. For in Isaac shall thy seed be called. What do you think that's saying to Abraham? Which seed do you think he's saying shall be called out of Isaac? Jesus. You think Abraham's not hearing about Jesus right there? You think Abraham's not seeing that Jesus is the promised seed? That Jesus is the seed that will be his shield and his buckler? That Jesus is the seed that will make him the father of many nations? That Jesus is the seed that will make him exceedingly fruitful? And then he sees that God will preserve the promised seed's life from death. And the promised seed will inherit the blessing of the spirit of life. 
And the promised seed's life will be preserved from the death that's in the world eternally, never to be able to die again. And that is the power unto my life being shielded and buckled from the death in the world. That is my exceedingly great reward. You know, we talk about Abraham's life being a discerner of doctrines. Well, there's a doctrine in the earth that says your rewards in heaven. I don't even like using that because we're going to inherit the earth. We're going to dwell in an earth where there's no more death anymore. That's our end goal. God isn't trying to get us to heaven. He's trying to join heaven to earth and dwell in an earth where there's no death with us. That's what he's busy trying to do. But back to Abraham's life being a discerner of doctrine. There's a whole lot of doctrines that say your reward in the afterlife is going to be based on how kind you were to people and how many good things you did. Well, listen, what we know is... um, if that's how it is, I don't know. I think Billy might have the biggest mansion in heaven. Because, I mean, this guy's already always doing so much for other people. <laughs> and may, maybe second to Jill, I think, Billy. Because she also has to take care of you and, you know, all the other people too, right? <laughs> uh, no, but I'm joking. But, again, using the life of Abraham. What did Abraham say was his exceeding great reward? God. God is my exceeding great reward. I will inherit an incorruptible life. I will inherit a life that can't be decayed by death. And I will inherit that from God providing himself a lamb. That was his exceeding great reward. So God God told Abraham that. I am your exceeding great reward. You can't find any other thing in Abraham's life that talks about him getting some other reward than God himself. And so in the day we want to read the New Testament scriptures and we want to think that we're going to have reward based on how much good we did outwardly. Listen, man, that don't line up with Abraham's life. And immediately it betrays the faith. And we're no longer walking in the faith that Abraham walked in who said, God is my exceedingly great reward, not my own doing. Right? So Genesis 21 tells us, for in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Now, when Genesis says, in Isaac shall thy seed be called, it's talking about Jesus coming through Isaac. That's what it's talking about. God's telling Abraham about Jesus. That's what he's telling him, that Jesus is going to come through Isaac, and Jesus is actually the promised seed. That's who the promised seed actually is. And if you read Galatians 3, it says the promise was made to Abraham and his seed, duh. Speaking of Jesus, not speaking of Isaac. And so we're not disparaging Isaac. Jesus come through the line of Isaac. But the promised seed is Jesus, not Isaac. In Isaac shall thy seed be called. In Isaac shall the promised seed that I told you about come. What promised seed? The seed that God even prophesied of in Genesis when he told the serpent, the seed of woman will crush your head. That's the seed that God promised Abraham and he promised it to him through Isaac. Why did he promise it to him through Isaac? Because Isaac didn't come forth by Abraham's own strength. Abraham wasn't able to conceive a child. He wasn't able to bring forth a child. He tried to bring forth a child, not with Sarah, but he tried to bring forth a child through his own strength, through Hagar. And he brought forth an Ishmael. Well, the spirit or the promised seed could never come through Ishmael because Ishmael was conceived by Abraham's own strength and not by the strength of God. And so in Isaac, a seed that you couldn't bring forth, because I waited till your body was completely dead and your own seed was completely dried up. And now it isn't just Sarah's womb that's dead, but your body is dead. You guys can't produce fruit. Now I'm going to bring forth fruit in you. You shall call his name Isaac. And it's in Isaac shall the promised seed that I began talking about in Genesis 3 come forth. In Isaac shall the lamb that I will provide to deliver you from death come forth. In Isaac shall the seed that I'll preserve eternally come forth. And he will be your sheed and your buckler. He will be your exceeding great reward. The life I bring forth in him will be your shield and your buckler. It will be your exceedingly great reward. Oh, hallelujah. I'm the richest guy in the world. Because I've inherited the very life of God that he manifested in the promised seed, Jesus Christ. I'm rich. That's my exceeding great reward. I don't care about anything else. That's my shield and my buckler. When I walk in this world and I behold all the darkness, 
The life that God produced in the promised seed, preserving the promised seed eternally, that's my shield and my buckler. The promised seed is Jesus. And He came and He inherited the blessing of the Spirit of life so that that could be poured out on all flesh. And that Spirit of life has baptized me in the fire of God's life. And that's my shield and my buckler. Hallelujah. That's what Abraham was believing on the mount. That's why he didn't trust in his own strength on the mount. But he trusted in the lamb or the strength that God would provide or the strength of God's lamb. No, no, no. Hallelujah. <laughs> Romans 4, this is what Romans 4 says. The promise wasn't made to Abraham or his seed. Ah, Talking about Jesus again. Talking about Jesus again. Notice what he says. It wasn't made to Abraham and his seed through the works of the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Jesus is the seed, and God promised Jesus he wouldn't allow the corruption to overcome him. He promised Jesus that he would raise Jesus from the dead, never to be able to die again, and glorified immortal flesh. That's what he promised Jesus. And do you know how he told Jesus that it would happen? By all the good deeds he did? By performing the works of the law? By following the, the commandments? By believing that God would do what he said. Faith. That's right. That's right. Even today, we build our whole gospel around the idea that God's angry with us because we didn't follow outward ordinances. And now we say the reason we're delivered is because Jesus came and followed all the outward ordinances perfectly. So now God can be happy with us. The problem God had with what we did is that we believed in our own strength and not his strength. And the reason that caused him a problem is because he wanted us to live eternally and never die. But now, because we trusted in our own strength, our own strength doesn't possess immortality. And so our own strength was serving us with death. That's why he's got a problem with it. And so he come and promised mankind again immortality and a life that can never die. And he promised it to Abraham and he promised it through Abraham to his seed, Jesus. And he promised it through the faith. <laughs> so on the mount, Abraham saw that God would not allow the promised seed to see corruption. That's Psalm 16, I think. You shall not suffer thy Holy One to see corruption. That's Jesus talking about God, not allowing the death that come upon him on the cross to overcome him. And so on the mount, Abraham saw God wouldn't suffer the promised seed to see corruption, but God would raise him from the dead in incorruptible flesh, never to be able to die again. That's what he saw. And he saw that that promised seed would now inherit the spirit so that that spirit could be poured out on all flesh. And Abraham knew that that was the fulfillment of God being his shield and his buckler and his exceeding great reward. Hallelujah. He gets it now. Genesis 22 says God tempted Abraham on the mount. Tempted. Yet James comes and says God can't tempt anyone. Neither can he be tempted. See the contradiction? But there is no contradiction. So what it means is, is we're not understanding something properly. And what's happened is our English understanding of the word tempted, we read Genesis 22 and it says God tempted Abraham. And our English understanding of the word tempted tells us that God tested Abraham to see if he would obey his orders. That's what we say. That's how we look at it. But that's not what the word tempted means in Hebrew. Oh, a funny thing, the Hebrew language ain't the English language. That's a funny thing, isn't it? You know what that word tempted means in ancient Hebrew? Ancient Hebrew and Aramaic, which is what Abraham would have been talking. I'm going to give you two meanings, and then we're going to fill out what it's talking about. The first meaning of the word tempted is to grab a hold of someone to perform something. A person going to grab a hold of someone else to perform something in them. That's what it means. The second meaning, respect in the sense of lifting one up in the sense of lifting one up. So here's the, the Hebrew, ancient Hebrew definition of the word tempted. To grab a hold of someone to perform something and to lift someone up. To lift someone. Okay, so let's just read Genesis 22 now in light of those two definitions. 
God grabbed a hold of Abraham on the mount to perform what he promised by lifting Abraham up and showing him to be the father of many nations. I'm sorry, that doesn't leave you with your theology about God testing you to see if you'll obey. Do you know what it does do, though? It puts on display in your midst the integrity of God's heart towards you, and it will produce in you faith towards him just like it did with Abraham, which is all you need anyway. I think most people that, that will disagree with the technicality of what I say, if I come and just say this, all we really need is to trust God in every area of our life. They'd all say, amen. Exactly. But then everything we describe works against us trusting God in every area of our life. Because if you think a guy's testing you, you ain't trusting him. You're looking at him out the corner of your eye. What is this guy up to? I mean, we even have cliches where we say, is that a trick question? Why are you asking me that? And we're trying to think about it. So I'm going to read that again. Based on the Hebrew definition of the word, God grabbed a hold of Abraham on the mount to perform what he promised by lifting Abraham up and showing him to be the father of many nations. God performed what he promised Abraham. You guys know what he promised Abraham is that he would be the father of many nations. And I have called you a father of many nations. And he told Abraham that it would be by his strength and not Abraham's strength. And so on the mount, God performed what he promised Abraham because it was on the mount that God revealed or proved Abraham to be the father of many nations. And that's another meaning of the word tempted. Another meaning of the word tempted is to prove something. To prove something means to, to sit, that you see something that already is and then you want to show it for what it is. So God saw that Abraham was the father of many nations even when it didn't look like he was. And the proved is he came on the mount and proved what he said about Abraham was true. So God tempted Abraham on the mount. God proved what he said about Abraham being the father of many nations was true on the mount. In the face of everything in the world saying Abraham can't be the father of many nations, God proved it was true. You guys following that? A great example of that word, it's not just in Hebrew either, it's in Greek. And a great verse to go look at that word prove. The word in the Greek, in the New Testament, the word prove is also used as tried. Tried and the word prove are used interchangeably in the New Testament. If you go read John 6.6, 6, it's a great example of what we just described. John 6.6 6 says, And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. And so it talks about someone proving something to be true about somebody else because they already saw what was in them or what they would do. So the account of Genesis 22 is God proving what he said about Abraham was true. God called Abraham the father of many nations in Genesis 17. Abraham didn't look like he was the father of many nations in Genesis 17. Do you know why? Because there was deadness in his flesh and deadness in Sarah's womb. They couldn't have any kids. And the only child they had that wasn't by Sarah was Ishmael. I don't know if you realize it, but you can't be the father of many nations if you only got one child and that's after the flesh in one area. And so God saw something about Abraham was true. And he already knew the faith that was in Abraham's heart. And he brought the faith that was in Abraham's heart out on the mount so everyone else could see it. What was the faith in Abraham's heart? God will provide himself a lamb. God will preserve the promised seed from death. Even should death come upon the promised seed, God will raise him from the dead never to be able to die again. The strength in God's lamb will preserve Isaac's life. The strength in God's lamb will heal me from the deadness of my flesh. The strength in God's lamb and the power in his life to preserve the promised seed from death is my shield and my buckler. It's my exceedingly great reward. God saw all those things in Abraham's heart and he knew what Abraham believed and he brought it out on the mount for everyone else to see. That's what he did. And, and don't we see it? Because Genesis 22 says God will provide himself a lamb. It says, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so when Isaac wanted to know where the sacrifice was, 
Abraham said, God will provide himself a lamb. Mm. He wasn't testing him. He knew what was there. And he said, I'm going to bring it out so everyone can see what I said about Abraham being the father of many nations is true. Glory to God, right? And what he did was he revealed Abraham to be the father of many nations. Do you know what it means to be the father of many nations? Nations is talking about Jews and Gentiles, as Paul would come and describe in Romans. So the only way Abraham could be the father of people that were Jewish and people who were Gentiles is through the faith that they would all believe on later on when Jesus came. The only way he could be the father of both Jews and Gentiles is if he believed on the one God would send, just like people would who were Jewish and Gentiles when Jesus came. Right? That's the only way he could be the father of many nations. Does that make sense? You guys follow that? Now we'll get into the Harry scriptures. You guys know me. I don't listen. If you have to hide from the, the scriptures that sound difficult to prove your doctrine, then you're deceiving your own self. Right? You don't have to hide the scriptures that are difficult. So we'll go to James now and look at Abraham. We won't just look at Abraham through Romans. Dad, is there any way you can go turn the air up one one degree? It's getting chilly in here. It was it wouldn't kick on, so I turned it down. I think just turn it up one degree and, and we'll be better. <clears throat> we'll be better, won't we? I know Jesus is our shield and our buckler, but also if we turn that degree up, that might shield us a little bit from the cold. <laughs> James chapter 2, verse 21. And we'll read through verse 23. And we'll put all of this in context properly. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works? And by works was faith made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God. And it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Okay, now, so James says Abraham was justified by works on the mount. Immediately, our cultural understanding of what a work is kicks in. And then we think of him on the mount and that he was willing to offer Isaac. And so our thoughts start getting jumbled up. And so James says, Abraham was justified on the mount, but James doesn't stop there. He goes on to describe the work that justified Abraham. Two verses later, and you know what he describes it as? As it is written, Abraham believed God. That's his explanation of the work that Abraham did that justified him on the mount. He says, as it is written, in verse 23, it says, And the scripture was fulfilled, which said that Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. So James comes and defines his own words. And the way he defines what he says about the work Abraham did that justified him is he says he believed on God. That's what he says. I'm going to bring, this is a bit technical, but I'm going to bring it out anyway. And for those of you that don't care about technicals, man, have mercy on my soul, as we say in the South, because there's a whole lot of people that watch that do care about that. But I want to bring something out, because verse 22 says, Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? You see that? Notice it doesn't say Abraham's faith was made perfect. Notice it doesn't say that Abraham's faith was made perfect. What it says is just that faith was made perfect. It says faith was made perfect. Now follow me here. I'm going to try and say this a couple times slowly. The word faith there that it says was made perfect is a noun and not a verb. It's not talking about what Abraham did in that verse. It's talking about something that existed outside of Abraham. And this thing that existed outside of Abraham was made perfect in Abraham. And it was made perfect in Abraham when Abraham was persuaded by it. And so that word faith is a noun. And if you look at the word faith in verse 22 and the word believed in verse 23, 
They're two different words. They're not the same word. One is a noun and one is a verb. The one translated believed in verse 23, it's a verb. And it's talk, it, what it means is, is to be persuaded by something. So verse 23 is a verb. It means to believe or to be persuaded by something. But the word used for faith in verse 22, or verse 20, uh, yeah, in verse 22, is a noun. And do you know what it means? The gospel truth itself. The gospel truth itself. So when it says that faith was made perfect in Abraham, it says the gospel truth itself was made perfect in Abraham, or the gospel truth itself had its perfect work in Abraham. How did it have its perfect work in Abraham? Because Abraham was persuaded by what the gospel truth itself said, and Abraham believed on God. You see that? So I'm going to read this in the context. James says, Seest thou? Or don't you see? Remember, he's reasoning with people who had heard the word of truth in Jesus, but they hadn't continued in the word of truth. They weren't persuaded that the peace they longed for was contained in what God done in Jesus to liberate their lives from the death in the world. They weren't persuaded by what God had said and done in Jesus. They looked at the calamity around them and they thought the power into them having peace was in their own strength to gather peace to themselves. And so James is reasoning with these guys. And he says, don't you guys see? If we look at Abraham, seest thou not? Or don't you see how the gospel truth itself, working together with Abraham, allowing himself to be persuaded. And because Abraham was persuaded, the gospel truth itself was made perfect in him. So you have the gospel truth itself. God presented it to Abraham. And then you have Abraham doing the work. Remember, we talked about what the works were. There's the gospel truth itself. And then Abraham did the work. Where did he do it? In his heart. What was the work that he did? He allowed himself to be persuaded by the gospel truth itself. And so the scripture was fulfilled in him doing the work of being persuaded by the gospel truth itself because he believed God. He was persuaded by what God said. Does that make sense? Should I read that again? Should I say that again? And I'm going to put all my notes online so you can go and read it. Seest thou how the gospel truth itself, together with Abraham allowing himself to be persuaded, and because Abraham was persuaded, faith was made perfect. Faith, that is the word of truth itself, was able to have its perfect work in Abraham by making Abraham the father of many nations. And the way that it was able to make Abraham the father of many nations is because he didn't harden his heart to the word of truth, but he allowed himself to be persuaded. So if Abraham had not allowed himself to be persuaded of the gospel truth, but he had hardened his heart to the gospel truth, faith wouldn't have been made perfect in him. Faith wouldn't have been able to make him the father of many nations because he wouldn't have been persuaded. <clears throat> How does the scriptures talk about Abraham? I think it says the word of the Lord came to Abraham. Is that, is that right? Is that how it says it there? I'm pretty sure that it does. It says, and the word of the Lord came to Abraham. That's what it says. So the word of the Lord came to Abraham. And do you know what it said to Abraham? We know what it said to Abraham because Abraham said God will provide himself a lamb. So the word of the Lord came to Abraham telling him God would provide himself a lamb to take away the deadness in his flesh and to make him exceedingly fruitful. Because Abraham heard God say he'd be exceedingly fruitful and he's like, bro, have you seen this? Have you seen this body? What about Sarah? You seen Sarah? She ain't never been able to have no children. And so the word of the Lord came to Abraham. The word of the Lord came telling Abraham that God would liberate him from the deadness of his flesh. 
and that the way God would liberate him from the deadness of his flesh was by raising the promised seed from the dead, never to be able to die again. This is the word of the Lord that came to Abraham. Now that word that came to Abraham, it had its perfect work in Abraham because Abraham allowed himself to be persuaded by that word. He no longer trusted in his own strength, but he trusted in the strength of God's lamb. He didn't try to preserve Isaac's life, but he said God will provide himself a lamb that will preserve Isaac's life. And so that word of the Lord, the word that came to Abraham, the word of truth, if you want to use the language in James, because James talks about the word of truth coming from God. And he tells those guys, yeah, you guys heard the word of truth, but you're forgetful hearers because you haven't continued in that word. You weren't persuaded that the life you long for is contained in what God has done in Jesus. You weren't persuaded that God had begotten your life again from an incorruptible seed. So the first time you run into hard times in this world, you're right back to trusting in your own strength, trying to gather peace to yourselves. You're forgetful hearers. You weren't really persuaded by what God did in Jesus. Right? You haven't done the work that Abraham did. What work? Allow yourself to be persuaded. <laughs> oh... That word was able to cause Abraham to be the father of many nations because Abraham allowed himself to be persuaded by that word. Do you know what the word of the Lord came to Abraham to do? To make him into the image of the father of many nations? That's what it came to do. It came to bring him forth as the father of many nations. And the reason it was able to show him to be the father of many nations is because he allowed himself to be persuaded. That's the work of Abraham. That's the work that justified Abraham. Abraham was justified not in offering Isaac. He was justified because he allowed himself to be persuaded that God wouldn't allow corruption to overcome the promised seed. That's why Abraham was justified. How will we be justified? Do you know what justification looks like for all of us? God called mankind his children. He called us his sons in Genesis when he got down on one knee and blessed Adam, it says. It says he got down on one knee in adoration and spoke well of Adam. It means he said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. That's what a man and a woman say when they want to have a child. Let us bring forth offspring. Let us make man in our image and our likeness. God wanted to bring forth an offspring. He wanted to have a family. And when he made man, he looked at Adam in the face and he saw himself in Adam's face. And he said, this man has come forth from our loins. This man has come forth from the love we share with one another. This man is our son. And he got down on one knee and spoke well of this man. Now something happened though, because Adam ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and now death manifested in his body. Well, there's no death in God, so all of a sudden man didn't look like God's children anymore. You know what justification is? God coming to prove what he said about man being his children is true. And do you know how he would prove it? He would send a faith into the world that told us God was our father, and that God would preserve our lives from the death in the world through the promised seed. And do you know the work we would do to be justified? Allow ourselves to be persuaded by the faith God sent into the earth through Jesus. And as we allow ourselves to be persuaded, that will cause us to appear as the sons and daughters of God. Hallelujah! Oh, man. I feel bad for the church because we greatly err not knowing the Scriptures. And then we teach things from the scriptures that have nothing to do with the scriptures. All the while thinking that's where we'll find life. And all the while they don't talk about Jesus. Oh man. The work of Abraham is he committed Isaac's life into the hands of God. He committed Isaac's life into the hands of God. What's the work of Jesus? The work of Jesus is he committed his hands into the life of the Father when he was nailed on the tree. Did Jesus look like the Son of God when he was stripped naked and nailed to the tree? Sure didn't, did he? But God said he was the Son of God, didn't he? And Jesus allowed himself to be persuaded that the Father would not suffer him to see corruption. 
but that the Father would raise him from the dead and that the Father would preserve his life eternally. And Jesus allowed himself to be persuaded by what the Father said to him. And that caused Jesus to come out of the grave and the Father proved that Jesus was the Son. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Paul says in Romans 4, 2, for if Abraham were justified by works. You see, Paul and James are speaking to different people. And James is talking to Jewish people when he says works. And Jewish people are going to be very well versed in that, the word works. But Paul says, for if Abraham were justified by works, he would have something to glory in. But you can't glory before God in what you've done, is what Paul says. All the people, listen, you think you're going to get a reward because of all the good deeds you did outwardly? Like you started a church? Oh, you spent every day ministering for 14 hours a day. You spent all your time counseling with people. You gave your life to be burned for the benefit of everybody else. You think you're going to stand before God and glory in that as if he should give you something because of that? You ain't going to glory in anything before the Lord. I promise you that is what Paul comes and says. For what saith the scriptures about how Abraham was justified? Paul says in verse 3, Abraham believed God. He was persuaded by what God said to him. That's what it means. And that's caused him to appear as the father of many nations. That's what justified him. We'll keep looking at James. If we look at Rahab the harlot, because James mentions Rahab the harlot, doesn't he? Well, let's talk about Rahab the harlot. James would say, was she not justified by works? Speaking Jewish language, Jewish idiom. Certainly she was justified by works. But what was the work that justified Rahab? Something interesting about Rahab the harlot, somebody can correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't she in the lineage of Jesus? <laughs> Do you know why she was in the lineage of Jesus? Because the work that she did was she believed on the one God would send, which is Jesus. That's why. So, yeah. A, a, a harlot who wasn't a Jewish person. Jesus comes down from. As Paul would come and say, Israel is not Israel after the flesh. Israel is Israel according to circumcision of the heart. Right? Not all Israel is Israel. Like we, we're like, most of the church world is like the Pharisees. They think Israel is pertaining to being Jewish after the flesh. And then we define all of our theology according to Israel being Israel after the flesh. And then we teach confusion from that perspective. God loves Israel the same way that he loves the Gentiles. He loves Jewish people the same way that he loves the Gentiles. So Rahab, sorry, back to Rahab. Rahab. What was the work that justified Rahab? Now, if you notice in the account of Rahab, she heard stories about the God of Israel. She heard stories about the God of Israel. And you could say that the word of the Lord came to Rahab. Do you know what Rahab heard in the stories about the God of Israel? She heard about how the strength of his right hand was greater than the strength in man's hand. That's what she heard. In fact, she heard the power to be saved from destruction and inherit the blessing of life was contained in the grace of God and not the arm of the flesh. That's what she heard. Because the arm of the flesh was rising up to wage war against the God of Israel. And she saw that the best the arm of the flesh could do was produce destruction. And so Rahab, she heard that word. That word came to her. And now I'm going to use James's language. Rahab wasn't a forgetful hearer. She didn't forget that she heard that, but she was a doer of the word. She didn't look into the word about how she could be liberated from destruction by the strength in God's hand and forget what she had heard. But she continued in the word of liberty. She was a doer of the word. She continued in the perfect law of liberty. She saw the power to be liberated from the destruction in the earth was found in the God of Israel and the strength in his arm. That word came to her and she heard that word and she didn't forget about that word, but she continued in that word. And when destruction came to her house, she said in her heart, the power to overcome this destruction is found in the strength of God's hand. It's found in the grace of God. She continued in that truth. And just as it is written in the scriptures, she wouldn't put a crimson cord that hung outside her window. And do you know what that crimson cord declared? 
God will cause destruction to pass over me by the blood of his lamb. That was the testimony out of her mouth. As Revelation would come and say, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Rahab overcame the destruction that was coming from the strength of man's hand. And the way she overcame it is because the testimony in her heart was that God would provide himself a lamb and by the power of his lamb shedding its blood, this death will pass over me. Hallelujah. <laughs> you see what the work of Abraham, the work of Rahab was? She continued in the word that she heard, or she allowed herself to be persuaded. That was the work. Do you see how the word that she heard was full of power to save herself, to save her from destruction? Because she allowed herself to be persuaded by that word and she continued in it. She heard something about how she could be saved from destruction. And she said, the truth and she continued in that word and that word was made perfect in her because it preserved her house from destruction didn't it <laughs> uh, you know what the word justified means it means to be declared to be as you ought to be to be in the state you were intended to be in that's what justified means and so justification is for God's promise to be realized in you. That's what justification is, for the promise to be realized. So God promised Abraham he would be the father of many nations and that his seed would be as the stars in heaven. That's what God promised Abraham. Now, the only way Abraham could be the father of many nations is by continuing in the faith that would later come through Jesus to, through, to both Jews and Gentiles. That's the only way that his seed could be as the stars in heaven is if he was persuaded by the same faith that would later come to both Jews and Gentiles through Jesus. So ju justification for Abraham can only be defined as him appearing as the father of many nations. That's what justification looks like. So Abraham appeared as the father of many nations on the mount. I don't know if you guys realize this, but offering Isaac can't make him the father of many nations. If Abraham had gone through with it and killed Isaac, that wouldn't have caused him to appear as the father of many nations. Because that's not the faith that would come in Jesus. And so what was the work? If the work has to result in him appearing as the father of many nations, then the work has to be him being persuaded of the same faith that would later come to all of us that we're also persuaded of. That's the only way that it could happen. Right? I think we missed that about the work we don't think about what justification is right like justification for us like i said it's, it's for us to appear as the sons and daughters of god do you guys think that i can appear as the son of god by offering my firstborn why not it can't glorify my flesh can it what can glorify my flesh Atonement? Restoration? If I allow myself to be persuaded that God will provide a lamb or that God has provided a lamb to remove the death that was reigning over me, that will justify me or it will prove that I'm God's son. Just as it says in, in Romans 4, that he might be the father of all them that believe. And again, in Romans 6, 4, 16, that the promise would be sure to all the seed, which are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. And again, in Romans 4, 17, as is written, I will make you a father of many nations. Right? And, and listen, guys, I don't want to disparage Abraham, but to use James's language, you know, initially Abraham was a forgetful hearer, right? You know, initially, he didn't continue in the perfect law of liberty, right? He heard that God was his shield and his buckler and his exceedingly great reward, but he didn't continue in that word. He tried to make himself fruitful through the strength of the flesh. He believed God existed, but he wasn't fully persuaded by the faith. 
He didn't continue in the measure of faith that God gave him as a gift. He didn't continue in the perfect law of liberty. When he thought of how he could be exceedingly fruitful, he considered the life he had in himself instead of the life that God has in himself. And that's how he had Ishmael. He didn't continue in the word. That's faith without works. You see how the word was there? That God would make Abraham the father of many nations, but Abraham didn't continue in that word. He tried to make himself the father of many nations. That was the word or faith without the work of Abraham allowing himself to be persuaded. You see that? Now, what happened to Abraham in between the time that he fornicated with his own strength and had Ishmael is he became persuaded. He stopped considering the deadness in his flesh and the deadness in Sarah's womb, and he glorified God instead. He considered the strength of God's life to preserve the promised seed. That's the work that justified Abraham on the mount. That's the work that caused Abe to be revealed as the father of many nations. You see that? So Abe was a forgetful hearer. That was faith without works. Then he became a doer of the word. He allowed himself to be persuaded that it, he would be the father of many nations through the strength of God's lamb. That's the work that justified him because that's what revealed him to be the father of many nations on the mount because you can only be the father of many nations if you have the same faith that Jews and Gentiles would later believe on in Jesus. That's the only thing. That's the obedience of Abraham. He was obedient to the faith. He was obedient to the faith. That's what, that's what that means. He allowed himself to be persuaded by the faith. Does that make any sense? Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father, for your love for us. Thank you, Father, that you sent your faith into the earth to persuade us that you love us to persuade us that you'll father your life in us. Thank you, Father, that uh, we could just find our lives strengthened by your faith, that we could just find ourselves looking to you whenever we need life, that we find ourselves looking to you whenever we need peace, that we could find your peace manifesting in us as we walk in this earth, and not the world's peace, but the kind of peace that isn't subject to the things going on in the world. Thank you, Father, for your love for us. Amen. Glory to God. You guys are awesome. Thank you so much.